I think that's it. All right, if you have your Bibles, open them up. We're ready for um, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We finished half of it last week. Let's pick it up in verse number 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. So you guys, you guys remember last week, Paul is um, defending himself against the Judaizers and the people that would come in after him and cause trouble. Oh, it's at the beginning. Did I make like a really profound point so I could drink water? No? Last week you guys went, ah, for me. Good to see. Paul is, again, he's um, defending himself against these people that were coming in after him. We talked about those that God calls to go out and plant churches and do ministry. And, and Paul was a forerunner. He was a leader. And he was going out and planting churches. And then he would leave to plant other churches. And some folks that didn't really have the call of God or even the, the desire to go do something difficult for the Lord had this idea of doing ministry in a way that, that I highly don't recommend that unfortunately happens is rather than go out and and start with nothing and do something difficult and expect God to show up and do a miracle, they they go in where there's already established churches and already people there, and then they try to steal the people or they try to, you know, infiltrate what the Apostle Paul was doing. You know, one of the things that God has um, blessed the, the church here and the ministry, and I really feel like, you know, there's been some supernatural blessings. There's a verse in the Bible that says, if you leave father, brother, mother, sister for my name's sake, Will I not repay you a hundredfold in this life, listen, and in the next? Do you guys remember Jerry Maguire? It was like a Tom Cruise movie. He was an agent. And then his, 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 his client was, this is like infamous scene in the movie, and his client's like, show me the money, Jerry. Remember anybody? Show me the money, Jerry. I was teasing, you know, myself, the Lord, and uh, I was reading that verse before Lydia and I were leaving Yucca Valley to come here, and and really everything in that verse. Lydia's family was there. Lydia's dad was a senior pastor at the church we left. Our kids were in private Christian school with great sports cro- programs. We were a sports family. Uh, we were in a Jeep community. We had this club that we hung out and camped with and Jeeped with. And my family was, was two hours away. And everything was there. So when we left Yucca Valley and came to Tooele, we, we literally knew nobody. So I'm reading this verse and I'm like, okay, God, it says that if if, if I leave father, mother, brother, sister for my name's sake, for your name's sake, will you not repay me a hundredfold in this life? Okay, I know it's in the next, but in this life too. So show me the money, God. Show me the money. And, and the Lord has absolutely just blessed us in so many ways. In so many ways since we've been here. You know, Gabrielle is part of God's blessing for our lives. And we were able to adopt a little baby girl four and a half years ago. And, you know, and Pastor Gerald told us at the time, he said, I really feel like this is, part of God's blessing for you guys for the for the for that verse and for what you guys you know the move that you made and it was hard to receive that but at the same time it was true it, it rang true that that God did amazing things I've watched Josh and Amber who left brother father brother mother sister for my name's sake and have come to Twilla to serve our ministry and God's blessing their lives and not perfect and not easy but you know in this house they just got it's like it was such a huge blessing like those those deals don't exist and 
and, and God is taking care of them and blessing them. And so, you know, to, but to go and do something that's hard, for whatever reason, people don't want to do that. They'd rather come in where it's already established and plant a church across the street or down the street. And, you know, we talked about last week, again, that 80-20 model when we plant churches and when we do ministry. And any ministry that you have, a healthy motto would be 80% is new believers and new growth and people that weren't church and you're reaching people that, that needed something. And 20%, you're going to have people that change churches and do that. It's a part of ministry anywhere you go. And sometimes that's healthy and unhealthy, but at the same time, that's, that's the reality of it. But, but unfortunately, we're planting churches where it's 20% maybe of, or less sometimes of, of healthy growth and people that got saved and new believers and 85% of your church because you went and planted on another man's foundation or people that were in another church the week before. And so that's exactly what was happening here in chapter 12, uh, 11 and 12 and 13. And so Paul is kind of gloves off. Now he's, um, he feels like he needs to defend himself against these guys. And so he kind of gets, not, not in the flesh, but he, he, he does something that's not, um, not normal for Paul's character. Remember in, in 1 Corinthians, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul was sharing his heart with the Corinthians and he said, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And that was Paul's life. I, I, I just want to preach Jesus and Him crucified. I, I want to know nothing. I want to prove nothing. I want to boast about nothing except in Jesus. And, and then in this chapter, where we are today, Paul is going to say, well, kind of, you know, because in order to defend myself, to protect you guys, because I love you guys, there's a necessity that I boast in a few things. And so in chapter 11, where we are now, we're going to cover some of 12. He says, I'm going to boast, and he boasts in the flesh. And so what we're about to get is he's boasting in some of the things that God did with his physical body and in his ministry. And then in chapter 12, he's going to get into, you know, sharing some things spiritually that, that God did. One of the things that you're going to notice as we go through this is that in chapter um, 11, he's going to say these words, I'm not weak. Let me show you. Here's the deal. I'm not weak. And then in chapter 12, he's going to say, oh, I'm weak. And if you're paying attention to the flow, you're like, well, which is it, Paul? But in chapter 11, he's talking about his flesh. And in his flesh, he said, I'm not weak. I'm, I'm busy. I'm working hard. I'm going through things. I'm serving the Lord. And in chapter 12, he's talking about spiritual things. And he said in his spirit, when I'm weak, the Lord is made strong. And, and, and it's God who does these things in me. And, and it's not in, in any strength that I have of the Spirit. And so you'll see that as we get through this. Um, and then in verse 16, he says, I say again, let no one think me a fool. Uh, if otherwise, at least receive me as a fool that I also may boast a little. So now he says, I'm going to get a little foolish. I'm going to boast a little bit. And again, it's not my character. It's not the norm for the Apostle Paul. And he says, what I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this, in this confidence of boasting. You'll hear in all the Pauline writings in the New Testament where there's a few times where Paul says, not the Lord, but I. And, and in those times, I think that, that Paul understands that this is maybe not a direct revelation from the Holy Spirit. This is Paul himself encouraging and, and telling somebody. So he wants to clarify that this is not the Holy Spirit who's, who's directing these exact thoughts. You know? and, and so the Bible says that the, the holy men of the Bible were inspired by the Holy Spirit as they wrote. So every word of, of God is infallible and inspired. But Paul makes these distinctions. And so here, because he's going to get a little bit out of character, he says that. And then he says, um, are we 19? Seeing 
that many boast according to the flesh, I will also boast. Who are the other that were boasting according to the flesh that Paul says he's going to match? In verse 18. These, these guys, right? These, these, these Judaizers. I call them the second in. The, the, Paul's in first. They came in second. The second in. They followed Paul in. And he says, you know, they're boasting and, and you guys are eating it up. So let me share with you a little bit about what's really going on. For you put up with fools gladly since you yourselves are wise. For you put up with it if one brings you into bondage. If one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face. This was one of their practices. I think the rabbis to this day will use this. They'll, if they, they're teaching and they have a student who's fallen asleep or not taking notes or, or maybe can't answer a question in the Q&A, he will literally slap him in the face. And that's a part of the... I guess the way they, they, they think that they're communicating the word of God. And so this was a, was a practice in this day where the, the teachers or the rabbis would come in. And if you fell asleep, they, I think we should try it. I like it. Wasn't the old tradition like you take a pair of gloves and you slap somebody in the face with the gloves? Yeah. How would that go over? Would you come back the next week if I walked around and slapped people in the face with gloves? Have you guys seen some of these videos on YouTube or some of these things where they take the pastors or... I, I, I loosely call them pastors, but the leaders are these guys. Are, they take their jackets off and they hit people with their jackets and they fall over and they do these. You, uh, there's one that's set to Street Fighter, and it's like a spoof. And the pastor will like hit him with his jacket. They make like the "What do you can?" and these fireballs come out. It's hilarious. You got to see it. Or they do these things like where they're baptizing people and they they choke slam them and all this weird stuff. And it's all out there. It still exists to this day. Um, so as you as we read this, we think, oh, this is a, a first century practice, and they were slapping people and they were abusing people. And but you know, it's it's not any different today. Satan doesn't have any new tricks. He has the same recycled tricks. And when you see something that's a a new trend, you know what you oftentimes, most of the times, you realize is that it's not new. It's thousands of years old, right? How about like the gauges, like like when gauges got popular and people started blowing their ears up? You think that's a new trend for today? No, they were doing that in Africa like thousands of years ago. Like these, these trends aren't new. And, and so th- this stuff still goes on today. And Paul says, you, you guys will put up with this. You'll put up with somebody who, who puts you back in bondage. And, you know, that's our human nature so many times because the grace of God um, is so difficult to receive. You know, one of the hardest things to receive gracefully is the grace of God. You know, because you always feel like you should do something to earn it, Right. Like, just to receive something for nothing is difficult. Like, but if I, if I work for it, if I earn it, and so our tendency is to want to earn the grace of God. And so they would take advantage of that, and they would willfully put people into a bondage that people are willing to do because it makes them feel like they're earning something. You know, if I showed up at your house today after church, and I had a brand new, top-of-the-line washer and dryer, and I said, here, I want to gift this to you. Oh, my gosh, it'd be so difficult for you, Right? Like, oh, no, you don't have to, or why would you do that? And, and, and to receive grace gracefully is very difficult. And so, again, Paul is um, saying here in verse 21, to our shame, I say that we were too weak for that. Everybody say, look at your neighbor and say, too weak. But in whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly and bold also. Hey, turn real quick, if you will, to Second Timothy. It's to the right. Chapter 3, 
I'm sorry, chapter 4. The 2 Timothy 4, verse 3. You know, one of the things that happens and is going to happen, and it's happening more around us now today, is the Bible says um, that in, in, in Timothy 4, 3, it says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Look at your neighbor and say, sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. The church of Philadelphia in the book of Revelation is the church that we want to emulate. And one of the things that that Jesus said about the church of Philadelphia was that was the church that kept God's word. And so when God had nothing negative to say about the Philadelphia, and one of the positives was that they kept God's word, for him to highlight that, that means that some of the other churches did what? They didn't keep the word of God, or they strayed from the things that are in the word of God. And what is popular today? To, to, to not stand on the word of God. I've heard pastors, I heard a pastor of a church describe the New Testament as an ancient document. And use these terms, ancient, ancient document, meaning that, that it's not relevant or valid for today. And that's blasphemous and dangerous. And that's the tendency that, that, that's going to happen. And the Bible tells us, and Timothy said, there'll come a day when people won't put up with sound doctrine. And I'll tell you, it is difficult, right? In the culture that we live, some of the things that the Bible says can, you know, our culture has deemed to be hate speech or has deemed to be, you know, against our culture. But we have to stand by it. And then what do they say when we stand by the word of God that we hate? And you know what's crazy is that there, there, there's nothing in our lives that, that show hate. You know, I, I always use Lydia's dad as an example. He, he was interviewed by a TV station, a newspaper station, and a whole interview. And he um, was asked one question about Romans chapter 1 and whether he believed that homosexuality was a sin or not. And then, and then when he said homosexuality was based on Romans 1 was a sin against God, that, that now he was somebody who hates and he's just a hater. And, and I think the ridiculousness of it, when you look at, 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 at his 40-year life, he started missions all over the world, two orphanages, one in the Philippines and one in Malawi, that, that he, where he's, 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 he's personally overseeing the ministry of, of raising orphans in foreign countries. He's been involved in hundreds of thousands of weddings and funerals and pouring himself in. I can't tell you how many times in the middle of the night he's been in the hospital to be by people's side and by their bed and to to love them. And when his own wife had cancer, one of our pastor or one of our our Bible school teachers, a guy named Charlie, his wife had brain tumor. And and Charlie says, while Cindy, his own wife, Lydia's mom was dying of cancer, uh, his wife was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And he said, when I got to the hospital, Pastor Joe was standing in the lock. And on and on and on and on and on. And just what his life speaks is, is love. And what his life speaks is sacrifice and of giving. And I'm like, how can you ignore the body of, of, of who he is? And because of this one question, you want to label him as a, somebody who hates. We don't hate. We stand on the word of God. We stand on solid doctrine. And if the word of God teaches it and the word of God says it, then we believe it and we stand on it. And we don't change it to fit our culture. The culture has to change to fit the word of God. And we can, we can be loving and have good doctrine and solid doctrine. And we don't make stuff up. And we're not making things up to hate people or hate speech. It's, it's actually it's hateful the other way around. If you don't tell the truth, if you, if you let people indulge in lifestyles that will destroy their lives. And so um, 
So again, as, as the, the church in Corinthians, as is today, they, they were um, not tolerating and they were allowing bad doctrine and things to change. You know, people with a eschatology is all over the place. Again, I heard a, 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 a pastor say recently, and he was teaching the, the verses in the Bible about the rapture. And then he said, his statement was, well, if you went to church like in the 90s, like if you're old school and you grew up in church in the 90s, you might have heard of this term called the rapture. Well, that's not what this is talking about. Um, it, it says the caught away and taking up and all those things that are a rapture, but actually it means something else. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't get it. All right. I'm going to be careful what I say. We're going to touch on it one more time, too. Um, we're going to hit the prosperity gospel uh, and, and narsa Jesus in, in, in just one verse here. So let's look at verse 22. He says, are they not Hebrews? So am I. Now, Paul's boasting. Don't, don't forget. He's, he's making a claim of who he is. And he's just telling them the truth now. Now, again, he's not, um, he, he's not in sin and pride. But in order to, um, again, protect and love these people from who's coming, he, he has to, again, like we talked about last week, kind of meet the second in folks, the Judaizers, at their level. And so he says, they say they're Hebrews. So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons, more frequently. In deaths, often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, not with marijuana. Three times... I was shipwrecked a night and a day. I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst and fastings, in cold and nakedness. Besides all these other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for the churches. Who is weak? Not Paul. You know, when, I, when you want to answer that question there in verse number um, 29, who is weak? I think we probably all should raise our hands. How many of you guys can identify with anything in this list? Raise your hand if you uh, have been beaten five times with 40 stripes minus one. Who's a mathematician here? 39 times five. 40, 80, 120, 160, 200 minus 5, 195, 39 times 5, 195, 195 floggings, lashings, five different times Paul received 40 lashes minus one. How many times would you receive 40 lashes minus one for preaching the gospel before you throw in the towel? You know, as and again, I'm not trying to judge anybody or be too harsh I'm, I'm in jest a little bit but you know like if you come to church and somebody's sitting in your seat it's a bad day it's a little warm in here right now that's a bad day like the things that you know you ordered your coffee and amber didn't make it the way you like it that's a bad day i don't think we have to worry about 39 minus one and you know um but i, I do want to say this one of the things that's super super important as Christ followers, and for us to stay in the gospel is to understand that we should expect hardship in our walk, that we should expect difficult things. 
and that, and that we should prepare ourselves. And certain trials and tribulations, God will allow in your life, and it has nothing to do with his love or, or him forgetting about you. He's allowing you to go through certain things. And actually, the closer you get to Jesus, the more things it seems like he allows you to go through. The apostles understood this concept, and they said, man, I, I counted worthy that I've been, that I've been um, able to suffer trials and tribulations. They counted it as a blessing to be able to go through some difficult things because they understood that God trusted them and knew that, that they could go through difficult things and continue to serve him. And, you know, we have, um, unfortunately, sometimes we base God's love in our lives on our circumstances. Do you realize that God loves you regardless of your circumstance? That Jesus died on a cross for you regardless of your circumstance? No matter how hard things you go through, you know, one of the things that's just heartbreaking is from time to time, I watch Christians who come to church and they go through something very difficult in life. Usually a, an illness, a death of a loved one, death of somebody close, a financial hardship. And, and they develop this attitude that God let them down, that God failed them. They go on social media and they, they say things that, that, that God is faithfulness is failed in in their lives and i'm like well that would be the first time in human history god's faithfulness ever failed anyone don't flatter yourself and 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 it breaks my heart it breaks my heart because i want to go back like a year and and, and sit him down and say hey you know what love god no matter what you go through understand that that when you go through hard things decide today you know pastor gerald shares a, a story of um, when, when God was working in his heart. And listen, this is one of the um, biggest lessons in Christian living right here, is that no matter what happens tomorrow or the next day, you decide today, no matter when, say this with me, no matter when, no matter where, no matter how, no matter why, I will serve Jesus. What if something terrible happens to you tomorrow? Will you be angry with God? You know, there'll be confusion. Lydia's mom went home to be with the Lord, and, and, and her and I walked through this. And she, went, she was sick for about um, eight months, nine months, uh, with pancreatic cancer. When I, when I first found out it was pancreatic cancer, somebody, I would tell somebody, yeah, Cindy has cancer, and they would ask me what kind of cancer. And every time I would say it's pancreatic cancer, I could always see the grimace on their face. Like, like they, they understood something I didn't. To this day, pancreatic cancer is 100% killer. We, we did a lot of research and a lot of study, and I, we saw somewhere where someone said one guy survived pancreatic cancer, but it, it kills 10 out of 10 people that get it. And so the writing was, was on the wall, and we were praying and asking God for a miracle. And, and, and we went through this season, and, um, and, and I watched Pastor Gerald, and we started a campaign in our church called Believe. And every, every Sunday and every Wednesday, you know, we started plastering the word believe around the church, and, and everybody understood that meant that, that as a church we're believing God for a miracle. Because we knew it was going to take a miracle. We got a super um, exciting and cool phone call during the middle of this. And there was a missionary in China. And they somehow had a connection to the underground church in China. And they, they got Cindy's name pushed through this, this prayer request thing. And they assured us that a million Chinese people were praying for Cindy to be healed. And we know that among the Calvary family, you know, and Pastor Gerald being a senior pastor, that our Calvary family was praying for her. And we were believing God for, for uh, a miracle. And, and, and she, she went off to be with the Lord in March on a Friday. And we were all with her there at her bedside. And, 
just, just again by a miracle. She had been in a coma for a couple days. And um, when, when, when the Lord was going to take her, the way it worked out that evening, it just happened to be that we were all in the room together. And Dad called us in, and um, she, she, she kind of sat up. Not quite all the way, but she picked her head up off the pillow for the first time in a couple days as we all stood there. And she, being in a coma, it's like physically impossible to smile. And she got this little crook in the side of her mouth like we saw this smile. And one little tear came down her face because she loved her family. But, and then she passed and she was gone right there as we stood there. And we watched her see Jesus. We saw that look on her face as, um, as Jesus came and got her. And she smiled when she saw Jesus. And she got a tear when she knew she was leaving her family. Her head bent down on the pillow and she was gone. That was a Friday night. That Sunday, I watched my pastor get in front of the church the Sunday after his wife died of 31 years and tell the church, no matter when, no matter where, no matter why, no matter how, I will serve Jesus. And I'm standing here today and people would say to him, oh, do you, do you still believe and believe? And he said, I believe now more than ever. I watched my wife see Jesus. But he had made a decision and a hard thing, but a decision that no matter what, he was going to serve Jesus. And we have to listen. We have to make that decision today. Amen? And then whatever comes our way, look at what Paul went through. You know, you know what I hate? The, the prosperity gospel. How many of you guys are familiar with what the prosperity gospel is? Turn it on that TBN channel and watch these prosperity gospel guys. What about that, that guy who, who recently has told his church that he needs $54 million for a jet? His third jet, by the way. That guy. And, and you know what happened? The church gave him the money. And, and, and again, like, the, and in that teaching and in this movement that I don't know how new it is, nothing's really new under the sun, but um, it's that God wants you to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. And, and, and that everything in, in, in there is about you, and you're happy, and you're healthy, and that you should have riches. And, you know, the one guy waves his Cadillac keys up, and he says, I got a Cadillac, and I'm not ashamed because I'm, you know, and, and it speaks of God's blessing in his life because he has a Cadillac. And you don't think so, and you got one, then give me yours, and I'll drive too. You know, and this nonsense. And, and unfortunately, for those people who sit under this teaching, they, they miss it. And then they go through something difficult, and they think, that, that God is mad at them or God is far from them or that God has removed blessing from their lives when actually the complete opposite is true. The more God has you in His, in his presence and in His hands and the more the Lord loves you and the more the God cares for you, the more you'll probably end up going through. You guys are like, forget it. <laughs> I ain't signing up for this. <laughs> what are you talking about? You mean the closer and the, that I walk to, to Jesus, the harder things come? Well, God's going to use you in greater ways. And, and again, do you know... I mean, there's lots of great examples in the Bible. But, but, but Paul, actually, you know, Paul stands out, right, as somebody who was really relationally close with Jesus. And you would think that, that if God's will for us is happy, healthy, and wealthy, and no trouble in life, that the guy who was actually in, in the flesh was closer to Jesus than anybody else, he would have lived a pretty good life. But he, and he did. I'm, I'm not saying he didn't live a good life full of joy, but he went through some hard things. And, and God used him that way. And then I, you know, I tell people, I say, look, maybe I'm wrong, and, 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 and the, the prosperity gospel is, is whatever, the right or way. Well, if that's the case, then just do this. 
Just start with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and, and you can end in Revelation chapter 22, and, and you get the whole Bible, and you just got to find me one person, just one example in the entire Bible of somebody who didn't have trouble in their life, somebody who was happy, healthy, and wealthy. Find me one person that didn't go through trials and tribulations as a Christ follower, and then I'll change my opinion. And I challenge you guys, show me next week, come and bring him to me and show me the one guy you found in the Bible who, who, who the Bible has any kind of length about. Now, not just a name and a genealogy, but if he's a character that's in the Bible and, and he didn't have any trouble, and you let me know. Otherwise, my conclusion is probably it's not God's will that we never have any trouble in our lives. But is God still good? Does God still love you? You know, that's the beauty of, of teaching the word chapter by chapter, verse by verse, having a little bit of an intellectual um, a relationship with God. I mean, God, our relationship with the Lord should be emotional. And we should have emotion. And we should, when we worship, raise our hands and dance and feel emotion. And each Sunday, allow God's Holy Spirit to emotionally give us a high. But unfortunately, if we, if we designed our church so that every Sunday that you come in, we try to give you this, this Holy Spirit goosebumps and an emotional high. And you come and we dance. Oh, I feel Jesus today. And you fall on your chair. And we, we have next week we got to put on a little bigger show to, to get you the Holy Ghost goosebumps and ooh, and all this stuff we got to do to try to, you know, I'm preaching. Hey, hey, man, Jesus, son. I don't know why Jesus is better than Jesus, but. Um, and, and the next week, you know, we have to reproduce this emotional high or you're going to feel like you, 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 you know. And that's okay. The emotional high is good. You know, Pastor Chuck used to say, God don't care how high you jump until he sees how straight you walk when you land. But, but I think God does care how high we jump. I think it's okay. And I, think it's, I think it's a part of our Christian walk to feel emotion. And I want to feel emotion. When I worship, I, I want to feel Holy Ghost goosebumps. And I want to have that in our services and in our thing. But that can't be it. That can't be all that we do. If that's all that we do, then, then when we... When we base our Christian walk on our emotions, when our dog dies, then, then, then our theology goes with our situation. Now God's mad at me. God doesn't love me. Listen, you've had, I, know, I know some of you guys love, and you love your pets, and it's hard when they, when they die. But the day your dog died, did Jesus' love for you change on that day? No, God's word is consistent. God loves you whether you're having a good day or a bad day. And, and that's where your good theology comes in. That's why we should have sound doctrine. That's why we should be students of the Word. That's why we should know what God's Word says so we can apply truth to our situation. And then our relationship with God should have a good balance of emotional high and, and sound doctrine, right? So that we have, we have the two in tandem. You know, every church, even our church, we, we, we try to have this balance, but it's hard sometimes. Like, you know, like maybe we have here, you know, really focus on the, the, the teaching of the Word of God, and we, we do a good job of, of one and not as good as the other. And some churches, you know, you come in and there's really this Holy Ghost feeling and this emotional driven thing, and they do that really well, but they don't really, you know, and so I, I get it, you know, and that's okay too. And we, we just have to be uh, integral, integral before God and do what God's given us and what we know, but trying to have that balance. Amen? Okay, I think I kicked that enough. Are you guys, you tracking? We catch that? Okay, so the, what, what I was sharing that I don't want to miss in all this, okay, because I got into prosperity gospel and all that. This, this is the most important thing. 
Okay, the biggest lesson in Christian living. I made a pretty profound or pretty bold statement when I said this is one of the biggest lessons as Christ followers. Okay, and, and I, I want to make sure we cap on that. It is trust God. No matter when, no matter where, no matter why, no matter how, no matter what comes in your life, make a decision today that what God says about your life is true, that God loves you, that God cares for you. And understand that the people in the Bible, for your good, for your example, Paul went through these things. You think it would have been good enough for him to receive 39 lashes one time? But he went through it five times. You know what's crazy about this list? And I read through it in thing, but it's, it's verse 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28 things, 28, all those verses of things that Paul went through. And, and we have the life of Paul laid out for us in the book of Acts, right? And, and so half of these things that are in this list, they're not even mentioned in the book of Acts. We, we could go through and we could find where, you know, Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, where Paul goes through some of these things in this list. But some of these, these items, the, the, the book of Acts didn't even cover all the things that Paul went through. We don't have five examples in the book of Acts where Paul was, was beaten with um, stripes 39 times or 40 times minus one. By the way, why 40 minus one? 40 is, is the biblical number of judgment. So when you were judged and found guilty, which Paul was never guilty of any crime, he was guilty of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, he, um, he was given 40, they would give 40 um, lashes. And so the number 39 in biblical numerology is the number of grace. So because they were so graceful, they didn't hit you 40 times, they hit you 39 times. Same thing with Jesus. Although Jesus wasn't beaten with a, with a rod, Jesus was beaten with a cat of nine tails, which is completely different. But he, he received 40 lashes minus one. So the minus one was for grace. One, one more real quick thing I'm going to say on this, kind of we're on this topic of sound doctrine. One of the things, too, I think we have to be a little careful for that's popular these days is the teaching that's called Jesus. It's narcissism, and, and what they do is, is they make you the hero of every story in the Bible. So I'm teaching through David and Goliath, and in the story I'm projecting that, that you're David in the story, and you're the hero, and that God is going to use you, and God is, you're powerful in Jesus, and you can throw stones and defeat giants in your life, and, um, and you become the David in the story, and so we project ourselves into the hero spots in the Bible stories. And, and they teach Bible this way, Jesus, which is narcissistic, which makes us the hero in, in all the stories and all the teachings. And so you leave church every Sunday like, yeah, I'm David. Show me a Goliath. And you think you're David. But what's good theology is in the story of King David, you're not David. You're the scared Israelite on the side of the the hill where one smotes the other, afraid to fight Goliath. Who's David in the story? Who's the hero of every Bible story? Jesus. Jesus is Dave represented by David in the, in the story. Jesus is your hero who comes and defeats the giants. Is it true that you can defeat giants? Absolutely. But only by the power of Jesus. Only by the moving of Jesus through your life. You know, when, when in, in Jude, the book of Jude, 
Pastor Dave taught it a couple weeks ago. It says that, that, that the archangel Michael was disputing with Satan over the body of Moses. You remember that? So Satan and, and Michael, who were one of three, um, what do you call them? Archangels created by God. These three guys, they're, they're, they're counterparts. Some people try to make Jesus and Satan like co-enemies, which is not. Jesus is God who created Satan. And one day when Jesus defeats Satan, it's not going to be a, this clash of titans. Jesus doesn't even get off his horse. He's just going to say one word and Satan's going to poof. The Bible says that when we see Satan, we're all going to go like, that's the schmuck that gave me all this trouble? Like, that guy, he's not even scary looking. He doesn't even have a red tail and horns. Like, what's... But anyways, Satan and, and Michael, who are nemesises, who are arch rivals, and they're battling over the body of Moses. Now, that's a fascinating little tidbit in its own. Why would they be fighting over the body of Moses? I'll just spoiler alert, because Moses is going to be one of the witnesses in Revelation 11. One of the two witnesses. Just my personal opinion, that's why. But anyways... So they're, they're fighting over the body of Moses, and Michael, rather than himself come against Satan, he says, this is what he says to Satan. What does he say to Satan? Who knows? He says, the Lord rebuke you. He puts Jesus between, the Lord is Jesus, the Lord. He didn't even call on God the Father. He called on Jesus. He said, the Lord rebuke you. And, and so again, he understood, I'm, I'm not going to fight with Satan. Put Jesus between me and Satan. That's why we never pray to Satan in here, you know. We don't. And some, again, you hear some people do that. Some churches do that. Satan, I rebuke you, and Satan, you get away from my family. And I'm like, in essence, you're almost praying to Satan, like you're talking to Satan to get away from your. Talk to Jesus. And first of all, you're no match for Satan in the spiritual realm. Michael wouldn't even do it, so you don't do it. You say the Lord rebuke you, Jesus rebuke you. Jesus is the power. Jesus is. The, the, the one. Amen? Amen. So, um, so again, that, that Narsa Jesus teaching is prevalent. You'll hear it all the time. I have some pastors that, that, that are in my, uh, in my playlist that, that teach that way, and I, I don't mind tuning into their sermons. I like them. I, they make me feel good that day. And, you know, and, and there's, all, there's usually some good stuff that I can take out of it, but I just know that i got to chew the meat and spit out the bones. I just know that I, I'm not David in the story. Jesus is, is, is the king of uh, the hero of every story. And in our preaching and in our, in our understanding, always put Jesus in the hero spot. Amen? All right. So, um, so verse 28 says, Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. So, so Paul himself went through all of these physical things. Now, his point in all this was he's not weak. Okay, these guys came in and they said, Paul's weak, he's weak, he's lame. And Paul's like, I'm not weak, look what I've gone through, never one time have I quit. They said that the Apostle Paul, when he got to town, he wouldn't go check out the hotel where he was going to stay that night. He'd ask the people when he first got to town, hey, can you show me the local jail? Because I know that's where I'm going to end up before the night's over. And, and it's a joke, but he would spend so much time in, in prisons and in and, and all these bad situations. And, you know, even in the shipwrecks, a night and a day in the deep. But Paul himself said, of all these things, the thing that, 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 that physically bothers me the most is my concern for all the churches. Like Paul had such a heart for the churches that he planted. He planted all these churches that you have in your Bible. Galatians, Philippians, um, Corinthians, um, 
on and on and on. Thessalonians and all the churches that Paul planted in in what is now modern-day Turkey area, Asia Minor. And and, and after he'd plant a church and he'd leave, he was concerned in all the letters he was writing, and it really weighed on him. And he spent time um, agonizing and praying, and he considered that really his, his biggest thorn in the flesh. So verse 29, again, who is weak? The Apostle Paul? No. And I am not weak. Who is made to stumble? And I do not burn with indignation. If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under Archaeus, the king, was guarding the city of of Damascus, Damascians, with a garrison desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. So another trial that Paul went through, that one we do have is in, if you take notes, right, Acts chapter 9 there is where that is recorded for us. And so, um, one more thing. Let's, let's get into 12, just a couple verses. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man, who's he talking about? Paul, in Christ, who 14 years ago, whether in the body or whether in the body, I do not know. Say, I don't know. Or whether out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Everybody say, God knows. Such a one, who's Paul talking about? Himself, was caught up into the third heaven. Listen, Paul uses this term, third heaven. Some have latched onto this idea and they've said that heaven has different levels of um, qualification. And some people qualify for level one. Some people qualify for level two. Some people qualify for level three based on how you lived your life. That is not doctrinal or scriptural. It's not supported anywhere else in the Bible. And that's not what Paul's talking about. And when he uses the term third heaven, and then in Corinthians, he already talks about celestial and terrestrial. The two, only two that Paul mentions, there's not a third one there. Um, But the idea is basically simple. Um, The earth and the sky that we have, this is, um, you know, you look up, you see the stars is, is considered the first heaven, or that's what he's talking about. If we leave our atmosphere, you're in space. Second heaven, when he says third heaven, that's in a different dimension. That's where God resides. That's the heaven that we know. It's, it's one place. It doesn't mean that it has multiple levels. So Paul says he was caught up into the third heaven, basically meaning where Jesus is. Because if he says I was caught up into heaven, you might mean that he got to travel to the moon or something. And he's up to the third heaven where Jesus is. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows. And he was caught up into paradise, then he calls it paradise. And he heard, everybody look at your neighbor, touch your ear and say, heard inexpressible words which it is not lawful to utter. Or such a one, I will boast yet of myself, I will not boast except in my infirmities. So you can uh, mark verse 5, that's what we're going to pick up next week. We'll talk about this, but listen. So Paul was caught up into the third heaven. Again, Acts chapter 13, we have this recorded for us, the history of this. Paul was in a city called Lystra, and they took him outside the city, and everybody threw rocks at him until he was dead. Now, whether he actually died physically or or not, he says, I don't know, in the body or out of the body, I don't know. His body was left for dead laying there in the streets of Lystra. And, and you know, when stoning is a, is a, is a, right, a Middle Eastern practice, an ancient practice, but it, it still is practice today. There was a movie, The Stoning of 
uh, Uriah something. It was a woman who was stoned in, in a Middle Eastern country in the recent years, and they made a movie about it. And one of the things is they don't, you think they take big rocks and like end it. They don't. They take like hand-sized rocks and they pelt you with them until you die. Sometimes they'll bury your body up to a certain point, and, and so it's painful, it's prolonged, it takes a, lot of, a long time. So they did this to Paul. And, and while he was either dead or alive, he didn't know, but left for dead by the, the rock throwers after they left, whatever, he says, I was caught up into the third heaven. And he said, the things that I heard, now pastors always quote this verse, and, and, and innocently enough, they'll say, when Paul says the things that he saw, in heaven, but if I, if you're being technical, and this one just kind of is a, I don't know, rabbit trail for me. It's a a, a a pet peeve, I should say. It's a pet peeve for me because Paul never mentions what he saw. He only mentions what he heard. Okay, but it's good enough. But he says it would be unlawful for me if I tried to repeat it. It was so grand. Heaven is going to be so grand, like you can't even describe it. The Bible says that that the that it could never even possibly enter your mind the things that God has prepared for those that love him. As, as a, what, what can you imagine heaven being like? How awesome can you imagine heaven? Like, let's take the, the greatest minds and imaginations in the world and let them draw pictures and ideas of what heaven could be like. And the Bible says that that picture, that idea that they would come up with is like a booger compared to what it really is going to be. Leave that image in you. That'll stick with you for a couple days. Because it's so grand. Paul says, I couldn't even describe what I heard. It would be unlawful. It would be illegal. They should really throw me in jail if I tried. It's so much better than anything I could. If I tried to communicate it, it just wouldn't even get close to doing it justice. I'm not even going to try. It would be a crime. Heaven's going to be so grand. Now, some people have latched on to this. And, you know, some people will make testimony that they were... They died in a car accident, and then they went to heaven, they came back, and then they tell you what they saw or what it was like. And, and some people will look at this verse and say, well, the Apostle Paul, um, he wouldn't even say what, what he heard, so those people are obviously lying because they can't go to heaven and come back and tell you what they saw. Apostle Paul wouldn't even do it, and they just write all the stories off. I'm not in that camp. I get that. There's some truth to that. And unfortunately, there have been some people that wrote books and sold a lot of books. And one particular guy, was a guy, he was in a car accident. He died. He came back. He had this experience in heaven. He wrote a book about it. And then like 15 years later, he came out and told the truth that he lied about it all. He made it all up. And so it's saying, and those guys are there. But I think that, that we also have John, right, in the book of Revelation, who also went to heaven. But what did he do? He described it. He wrote about it. Because God allowed him to do that in order to describe these situations and write about it. So I think you have examples of both in the Bible. And, and so I don't automatically just discount any of these stories of somebody who went to heaven. There was one that got popular a couple of years ago about a little boy who went to heaven. Uh, heaven is real, I think it was called. I love that story. I loved his testimony. I, it was so like right on to me. So anyways, that's all I got for today. Let's stand together. Let's have the worship team come up and close us in a song. You know, the one thing at least I could do for you guys, if I'm a good pastor, is I could let the mothers out on time on Mother's Day. <laughs> we're we're going to get really close, though, I think. Hey, Josh and Amber, you guys are available. Um, yeah, if you guys want to come up. If anybody would like individual prayer, um, Josh and Amber will be up front to pray with folks. Uh, we'd love to pray for you guys.
If you don't know the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and you want to know God, it's as simple as uh, saying yes to Jesus. To receive Jesus in your heart is very basic and very simple. It's just the beginning of being Christ follower. As a Christ follower, it's required to become a disciple of Jesus and there's a cost of discipleship. There's a cost that if you say that you're a Christ follower, there should be things in your life that you're doing that, 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 that give proof that you're actually a Christ follower, that you're actually a believer in Jesus. But that's later. The first part of receiving Jesus is very simple. It's believing that Jesus died on a cross and he rose again the third day, knowing that you're a sinner who's in need of a Savior, repenting of your sins by a simple prayer and asking Jesus to come into your heart to be your Lord and Savior. And so I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Maybe some of you have already done that and you're saved and you've just been distant from the Lord. You're like the prodigal son and it's just time to come home. And, and, and maybe you just want to say a prayer to come home to Jesus and just want to rededicate your life to, to be closer, to follow the Lord relationally and lead you in a prayer as well. So if you guys would pray with me together as a church. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I repent. I'm in need of a Savior. Jesus, I welcome you into my heart. I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again the third day. Jesus, I've been distant from you. And I want to come home. Receive me into your home. Receive me into your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's worship the Lord together. And if you'd like individual prayer, we'll be up front to pray for you. Don't forget to grab a food box on your way out. God bless you guys. We love you guys. Have a great Mother's Day.